The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street trying to keep the rally going after a wild week of trading. Futures, they are higher as the worst month for stocks is nearly in the rearview mirror. Drama in D.C. Lawmakers looking at a looming government shutdown and possible $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. The clock is ticking on both. In Germany, the votes are in in what is one of the closest elections in history. Two men, both saying they can become head of Europe's biggest country. We are live in Berlin with the very latest. Also in Europe, why gas stations around England are running dry with hours-long lines. Later, China's crypto crackdown. As holders of Bitcoin, Ether, and more scramble to protect their fortunes. It is Monday, September 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Monday. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, kicking off your week, and let us get right to it and get a check on your Monday money. Stock futures, they are higher. Dow futures, they are up the most, about three-tenths of one percent, or 163 points. Now, despite all the crazy days last week, the S&P 500 and the Dow are still higher in the past five days. Kind of hard to believe given some of the big drops we saw. Oil and gas companies, they are leading most of the gainers. Now to bonds, because the bond market is kind of like a super tanker. It is big, it is slow, but when it moves, watch out. And the biggest mover of actually any major market that we follow last week was the yield on the 10-year note. It rose 6%. That is a huge move for the, for the yield on the 10-year, especially in just a couple of days. No other market moved that much. The inflation story really starting to hit home in bonds this morning. We're nearing 1.5% again. It is up a tick again to 1.48%. And let's also look at crypto Bitcoin ending last week down 10.5%. That's its worst week since May. Ethereum down even more, 15% last week. We are seeing both meh, moving a little higher this morning. Bitcoin's at 43,837, up about 2%, but still, it was a very rough week for crypto investors last week. All of this happening ahead of what is going to be another busy week for the markets and your money. You've got two days of testimony from Fed Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. The federal government, you know, supposed to run out of cash on Friday. Unlikely to happen, but still it's out there. You got our big CNBC delivering alpha event on Wednesday. Still time to sign up. And a few key economic data points on Friday. ISM manufacturing as well. Pending home sales on Wednesday. There's your calendar. A big week ahead. Well, let's go around the, work as, around the world as well. Let's get a check on some of the global markets. The Asian markets, mostly mixed. Shanghai down the most. 
The Hang Seng in Hong Kong rose factually, and I say very factually. But in Europe, a very different story and a higher start to their day. All the major averages across Europe are up, led a little surprisingly by Germany, up nearly 1%. All right, as always, we're going to get more on the markets and your money in moments. But right now, it is time to get you started for the week. Here are some key headlines that are happening right now on a Monday morning. Savannah now is here. Savannah, what's going on on this Monday? Good morning, Brian. Good to see you. Brian, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing a new date for the vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's already passed the Senate. After committing to a moderate Democrats vote by today, she is now targeting Thursday for a floor vote on the $1.5 trillion bill. Debate scheduled to begin today. This coming as Congress stares down a fast approaching Friday deadline to avoid a potential federal government shutdown. Evergrande under pressure once again as investors continue to monitor a yet-to-be-delivered $84 million interest payment. Now the Chinese property giant says it's scrapping plans for a secondary listing on Shanghai's market for its electric vehicle unit, which at one point had a stock market valuation larger than Ford. And BP, the second largest gasoline retailer in the U.K., says it has run out of fuel at almost a third of its gas stations in the country following days of panic buying. Among the issues hitting supplies is a shortage of truck drivers, leaving station operators unable to fill empty stations. Last week, gas station operator EG Group said it would limit customers to $41 of fuel per visit in an effort to control supplies. That's enough to fill about one-third of a tank of gas. Brian? Yeah, think about that. 41 bucks is only a third of a tank, given the fact that it's like 7 or $8 a gallon in, in Europe. And exactly. there's no shortage of gasoline per se. Right. There's a shortage of drivers getting the gasoline to the BPs. Yes, kind of shortage of drivers. So I mean, the shortage of, of, of workers is hitting everywhere around the world. Yeah, not just here, but mm-hmm. there as well. We saw videos over the weekend, super long lines, panic buying. Don't do that. Look at that, Texaco. When's the last time we saw that? Silvana, we'll see you in a few minutes. Sounds good, Thank you very much. All right. Let's get back down to the markets and your money, which could be in for more volatility following last week moves. There are several key events this week that could either, I don't know, douse or light a fire under the markets. You got Fed Chair Jay Powell testifying on Capitol Hill. Oh, by the way, the federal government faces a shutdown on Friday if Congress does not pass new funding. There are big data points like home sales, ISM manufacturing. Let's get more perspective on all of this as we get set to close out the third quarter. Mark Anderson is co-head of asset allocation at UBS Global Wealth Management. He joins us now on the CNBC Newsline. Mark, good morning. Uh, What are you and your team watching the most closely either this week or, you know, in the next few weeks? Well, I think you bring a lot of great perspective, which is, first of all, that the, I think that the global economy has seen a bit of a slowdown over the last couple of months. We certainly have a lot of uh, potential roadblocks in there, which both relates to China Evergrande related risk. We have the potential risk of a U.S. government shutdown. We have central banks that are certainly past the, the peak in terms of, of stimulus. So enough for us to, to be watching here as we continue to be kind of bullish on markets being long, not only equities, but also financials, energy, Japan, and, and the like. 
Yeah, we look globally around the world. First off, in Europe, we've got an election, which we're going to get more, by the way, with our colleague Jeff Cutmore in Berlin in a second. But, you know, we're trying to understand here in the, in the States what this election may mean. It's unclear even who's going to be leading a coalition government. But yet the German market is up about 1% right now. Uh, what is happening in Germany and what is your take on Europe macro? So first of all, when we look at the, the German election, we'd say that, that market participants certainly don't like uncertainty that comes around the election. But I think the interesting thing is that this coalition, we're going to get three way, which is either going to be led by CDU, CSU in, in kind of this Jamaica coalition or turning the other way towards the SPD, which were kind of the, the win of this election. Uh, in a in a in a three-way coalition at, with the so-called traffic light uh, system here, I think either way we're going to have the the Greens and the Liberals being somewhat in in charge of setting that agenda, and uh, there's not going to be that big of a difference between them. And I don't think that the political situation in Germany will change that much, even if we're going to get a new uh, chancellor. So I think some degree of continuity and predictability is something that the markets like, and I think that's probably also why we see the markets in Germany being being up and also. Also, why, frankly speaking, uh, a global investor should not be too concerned about the outcome in Germany. Yeah, and Mark, looking at your latest note, you just referenced Japan. The Japanese market has been hot. The Nikkei 225, a lot of people kind of ignore it. You say do not. You think Japan, when you look around the world, may, on a macro level, be the best place to invest right now. Why? What is it about Japan that looks so attractive? So first of all, we certainly have an election coming up where, unlike in, in Germany, we are likely to see an extraordinary amount of fiscal stimulus coming out on the back of that. That's basically been the catalyst to what we think is a great investment story in Japan, which links up to several pillars. So first of all, Japan has been uh, a laggard in terms of uh, bringing out vaccinations, so they were late to the, the game. But now they've picked up and they've even overtaken the U.S. with more than 64 percent of the population being being vaccinated. Then we're going to see the state of emergency ending in September, which means that a continuous reopening and reacceleration of the Japanese economy leads Japanese companies to increase their earnings. Again, one of the most strong markets for, for earnings upgrades. We have a dollar yen below 110, which means for the exporters, which is a big part of the market, is highly supportive. And then we've had this underperformance, which means that it's trailing on a price earnings ratio global equities by 14 percent. So significant catch up potential in our view when we look at Japan. Mark Anderson of UBS. Mark, we are watching Japan as well. The market certainly there has been hot. Mark, we appreciate you coming on. Have a great day and a great week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right, we have got a lot more to do here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we come back, week two of our Go Big or Go Home series with one of CNBC's favorite stock pickers, Jenny Harrington, is here. Plus, call it an insider buying boost. This morning's RBI and why big bets by corporate insiders have often meant big returns, maybe, for your portfolio. But first, the polls just closing Hours ago, in one of the most highly watched European elections in decades, Jeff Cutmore is live in Berlin with more on where that German election really stands right now and what do we know and what we don't. Jeff, good to see you. A very good morning to you, Brian. Well, we have a result, but we still don't know who is going to be the next chancellor here in Germany. The country has taken a very small step to the left here. 
But wealthy Germans this morning are breathing a sigh of relief. We'll tell you why when we come back. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, Germans waking up to political uncertainty this morning. After the early results of the country's federal election are pointing to what could be gridlock between some two big political parties that are trying to form coalition governments. Jeff Cutmore joining us now from Berlin with more on where we stand at this hour. Jeff, good morning. Brian, very good morning to you. Well, what we've got here is a very fragmented outcome in this election. If you look at the SPD, center-left, or the CDU-CSU centre-right, both of these main parties have ultimately only managed to get a quarter of the electorate's support. And then you have a bunch of other parties like the Greens, who got about 15%, and then the uh, FDP, the Liberals, around 11%, and various other parties trailing at the extreme left and at the extreme right. So the most likely outcome now, the pollsters think, is that we will see the SPD, which narrowly won the poll, form a coalition with the Liberals and the Greens. Now, what does that mean for business and for taxes? The Greens and the SPD had tax policies that would have seen higher taxes on the wealthy and probably higher taxes on companies. The Liberals, they're against higher taxes They are more focused on investment in the structure of the economy. So that could actually mean that these parties, as they come into coalition, begin to cross out policies where they have disagreements, which potentially means taxes really don't go up very much and we don't see any major financial commitments or fiscal deficits here in Germany. So in a sense, we have uh, stability through stalemate, if you want to put it in those terms, Brian. Yeah, Jeff, it's all very confusing. I mean, you know, here in the States, obviously, we hear the word liberal and we kind of think maybe that's on the side that might want to raise taxes and sort of, you know, change the the way that our our corporate and individual taxes are structured. Sounds like it's not the case there. The Green Party as well, there's, I think there's, what, six or seven different political parties. What happens if they can't form a coalition government. I mean, I've seen comments from two people this morning who both said they could become the chancellor of Germany. It's, it's not clear right now, is it, who's going to run the nation? 
It is not clear right now. Uh, we are speculating um, lavishly on the potential outcome because remember, back in 2017, the negotiations ran for nearly six months and we were very close to seeing a three-way coalition which ultimately broke down and then we ended up with the two major parties going into coalition together, the so-called Grand Coalition. This time round, I think the political pundits suggest that won't happen because of major policy and ego differences. So still the most likely outcome at this point is that Olaf Scholz, who is the current finance minister in that coalition, but the head of the SPD, he will become the new chancellor. And then we will see yeah. a number of other representatives from the other parties take up jobs in the government. But the business community and wealthy Germans think that this is better than the outcome we could have got if the SPD had got a very, very clear lead on the Conservatives. Back to you. I hope that's clarified yeah, somewhat for our viewers. It is, Jeff, because it's all very confusing. But guess what? The market not confused to your point. The German DAX up nearly 1%, the best performer in Europe. So obviously, the market people like this outcome, whatever that outcome may be. Jeff Cutmore live in Berlin. Jeff, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Ah, the wacky world of German politics. All right, still on deck. A crypto trading hamster. Yes, a hamster that is beating the S&P 500 and TikTok traders taking on Congress. What else could it be besides your top trending stories this morning? And those are ahead. It is 518. Grab a cup of coffee. A long way to go. We're back right after this. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. For those, as always, NBC's Philip Mena is in New York. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Investigators from the National Transportation Safety Board are looking into the cause of the Amtrak train derailment that killed three and left seven others hospitalized in Montana. An Amtrak spokesman said the train was en route to Seattle from Chicago, carrying around 141 passengers and 16 crew members. It had two locomotives and 10 cars, eight of which derailed. The NTSB vice chairman is expected to hold a briefing about this incident later this afternoon. A volcano continues to wreak havoc on the small Spanish island of La Palma. This new video here is showing the shocking moment lava causes that church to collapse. That was just one of hundreds of buildings damaged by the volcano. The 74th Tony Awards finally happened on Sunday to honor the 2019-2020 Broadway season after the long pandemic hiatus. Moulin Rouge swept the board at the ceremony, picking up 10 trophies, including Best Musical. And a soldier's play won Best Revival of a Play. During his acceptance speech, director Kenny Leon honored Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Melvin Van Peoples, and others, saying, quote, we need to hear all of their stories. And finally, it was a wild week three in the NFL. Sunday night football, Packers-Niners, Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. That would make it 10-0 early. Back and forth game until this here, Jimmy Garoppolo finding Kyle Juszczyk to take the lead. Less than a minute left. 
but 37 seconds was plenty of time for Aaron Rodgers to drive down the field and give Mason Crosby a shot to win it. That's exactly what he did. The pack win on the road, 30-28. to 28. Another good game a little earlier in the day in Los Angeles, Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Uh, they got to the Bucks with a deep ball. That was a 75-yard pass to Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Matthew Stafford would throw to Cooper Cup twice for the score. Tom Brady, well, he threw for 400 yards, uh, but he was also the Bucks' leading rusher for them, unfortunately, with only 14 yards. The Rams, Brian. Beat the Bucks, the defending champs. Right. People thought it couldn't happen. It did. They won 34-24, and it wasn't even that close. You buried the lead, Mena. Number one, my Chargers beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. That's a big win. Sure was. Did you see the Ravens? Justin Tucker, 66-yard field goal. A 66 bounces, yards. Bounces off, off the goalposts and bounces in. Unreal. Yeah, it, it defied physics to me, I, but it was incredible. He is by far, I think, now the greatest kicker uh, in the history of football. I mean, the numbers prove it, and now I mean, that was just an incredible clutch yep. play. Uh, 66 yards, incredible. How the ball bounced forward to your point and not backward despite yeah. hitting that way. Who knows? The Ravens, good luck. By the way, he's on my fantasy team. I got like eight points or whatever for that kick. <laughs> Mine too. Appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, all right. I knew I liked you. Yeah. Well, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. All right. All right, buddy. All right, outside of us just yapping about football, let's get right now to your top trending stories, and that includes that story about, you know, a hamster. Savannah, we just talked about football. You got a hamster. What's going on with I'm, this I'm going to tell you about this hamster, Brian. So a hamster in Germany named Mr. Right. Gox has been trading a portfolio of about a dozen cryptocurrencies since June 12th, and so far, his returns have been impressive. In a rigged cage that's live-streamed on Twitch, the hamster spins a wheel to pick a crypto, then runs through one of the two tunnels, each labeled buy or sell. As of Friday, his investments are up nearly 24%, according to the Twitter feed that documents the animal's daily performance. The hamster's owner notes, the stream is strictly for entertainment purposes only. In a new TikTok trend, some users of the app are taking to a new investment strategy, modeling their trades after members of Congress, which by law must disclose any investments by themselves or spouses within 45 days. A company called Iris is now tracking those disclosures and sending push notifications to new subscribers about any new trades. And the Rolling Stones have finally launched their pandemic-delayed no-filter tour over the weekend in St. Louis. This is their first tour in nearly 60 years without drummer Charlie Watts, who died last month at the age of 80. Last night's show opened with an empty stage and a single drum beat with photos of Watts flashing on the video monitors. Brian? Brian, that hamster is is doing very well. Yeah, but like they said, entertainment purposes only, because I'm not sure the hamster would... I mean, I don't know how much he reads or she reads, you know, research he, reports. It's Mr. Gox. Uh, Mr. Gox, yeah. And there he is. Look at that. Mr. Gox is going to get some corn. What yeah. They eat. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to see the stones without Charlie Watts. but It uh, is. It's very sad. Very sad. Make it rain. I don't know where to go with any of these stories, Silvana. And now, thank you, Silvana. We appreciate it. I'll probably be replaced by a hamster soon also. Thank you. You got it. All right. Well, as we head to break, there is still time to sign up for our Delivering Alpha virtual conference to register. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com. There's your lineup. Great guest lineup as well. 
By the way, I have a panel, 4 o'clock Eastern time. Tune in for that. By the way, the Dow futures, they're up 177, and we are back right after this. Markets looking to make you money once again, despite a crazy week last week. Futures, they are higher right now, even as bond yields move up. Your keys to the week ahead. It is crunch time in the Capitol as the clock ticks for the Democrats to get the president's trillion-dollar spending bill over the finish line. Oh, and make sure the government stays funded and open. Former Senator Heidi Heitkamp is here to lay out the strategy. And we kick off week two of our special series, Go Big or Go Home. Jenny Harrington is here with some under-the-radar stock picks just for you. It is all happening on this Monday, September 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back. It is exactly 5.30 on the nose. Good Monday morning. Hope you're having a great start to your day and your week. Here's how your money in the markets are looking right now, and it looks like a pretty great start for them as well. We are seeing stock futures higher across the board, not up by a whole lot. Well, you know what? I stand corrected. Now the NASDAQ is down a couple points. This is what happens when you write stuff like four minutes in advance. The markets move quickly. Dow futures, though, they are up 168 points right now, just over three-tenths of 1%. A lot of people saying the big cyclicals, not big tech, big cyclicals, boring old industrials, they may be the winners going forward. We're going to find out. But either way, Dow futures, they are up. As always, more on the markets and your money. But right now, some of this morning's other top headlines, including more comments on how covid Maybe here to stay. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Brian, Pfizer CEO, is predicting that there could be a return to normal life within the next year amid the continued pandemic. In an interview yesterday, Albert Burla stressed that normal does not mean that COVID would be completely gone and that, would, and that variants would continue being an issue. Burla says that means annual revaccinations could become part of life. Because the virus is spread all over the world, that we will continue seeing uh, new variants that are coming out. And also we will have uh, vaccines that uh, they will last at least a year. And uh, I think the most likely scenario is annual revaccinations. But we don't know really. We need to wait and see the data. On the topic of vaccinations for kids, Berla says it's a question of days, not weeks, before Pfizer and its partner BioNTech submit data to U.S. regulators for authorization. Elon Musk is once again reiterating Tesla's commitment to China. In a virtual speech at a conference, Musk said the automaker will continue to expand its investments in the country, calling it a global leader in digitalization. The comments marked the second by Musk praising China in less than two weeks. He recently called Chinese automakers the most competitive in the world. And Marvel and Disney's Shang-Chi, the legends of the Ten Rings, continues to shine at the domestic box office. The film once again held on to the top spot at the box office its fourth straight weekend. And it's pulled in more than $196 million, making it the highest grossing domestic release this year. Brian? 
Yeah, you know, the Pfizer CEO comments kind of mirroring what a couple countries like, you know, Malaysia and Norway have said. It's just an endemic at this point. We're going to yeah. just live with it and get, and get yeah, through it'll, it as it'll, well. Exactly. It'll be kind of like, the, you know, we're get, we get flu shots every year, so... And that's basically where we are. And exactly. I saw some comments about whether or not kids could go trick-or-treating over Halloween. Are you kidding? It's outside in a mask <laughs> of a different kind. I know. we got to yeah. let the kids be kids. Savannah, exactly. now, Savannah, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Full-size candy bars at the Sullivan House this year. I promise. All right. It is week two and day six now of our continued Go Big or Go Home series, trying to make you some money as we close out the third quarter and look to the future Already getting some very interesting names to consider from Expedia to Lululemon to U.S. Bancorp, Unity Software, whoever that is. So let us see what is in store today. We've got Gilman Hill Asset Management CEO Jenny Harrington, also, of course, a CNBC contributor, tweeting late last night about your appearance as well. And you got a lot of people out there wondering who your picks might be. It's like, Bated breath, Jenny. Thanks for coming on, getting up early. Who is your first pick for us this morning? I was surprised that the Twitterverse didn't guess what my version of Go Big is. Obviously, my version of Go Big is Go Big Dividends. So I called through the portfolio just for you, Brian, just for our viewers, and I picked out um, four dividend stocks from the portfolio with really big dividends that also have um, sustainable earnings growth ahead that are trading cheaper than the market that will benefit from this kind of return to normal. And by the way, I don't think a return to normal is anything great and glorious. It's just normal. So my first one is Sabra Healthcare, SBRA. The yield is seven and a half percent. They're actually going to grow earnings at about five percent next year. It's trading at 10 times price to FFO, funds from operations, which is what the valuation measurement that we use for REITs is. Um, it's a really good company. They did an investor update La- the week before last on um, on the 13th, they're collecting 99.8% of their expected rents. And as we return to normal, oh, by the way, these guys are in the skilled nursing and transitional care space, right? So as we return to normal and people aren't afraid to go to nursing homes and they just get back to normal, this is just beneficial to their to their occupancy growth. So that's my first one. Okay, your next one is one <laughs> that I won't say is close to my heart, but is... I've been there twice, and I'll say it's it's a journey to get there. It is MP Materials, and this is that mine that basically this is their only asset that we have been to a couple times in the high California desert. Big dividend. Talk to us more. I talk about the rarer story. You're talking about the stock story. What can you tell us, Jenny? But you know what? I think actually we have a little confusion because the one I chose is Magellan Midstream, MMP, for the ticker. Oh, so I think they just picked up bad. the wrong ticker. I got all jumpy so and do, excited do you mind if I, about someplace I'd actually been. I know. <laughs> I, I have not been inside of a pipeline for a while and hopefully never will be. Talk to us about Magellan Midstream. <laughs> Magellan Midstream. I mean, I thought you were actually going to be excited about it because you are one of the few people who truly appreciates the value of energy and the value of oil and the fact that whether we want to or not, we're still totally dependent on oil and gas. So with oil and gas at $75, well, sorry, with oil at $75, to me, that's a great reminder that we still need oil, we still need gas, and we still need pipelines. So this is one of the big midstream pipeline companies. They have 9,700 miles of, of refined product pipeline with 53 terminals attached to it. 
I love this story because they've increased their dividend for 20 years straight, and it still has an 8.9% dividend yield. Trades at 12 times earnings. Um, earnings will be pretty flat, but here's the other nice thing that I thought you would like, Brian. It is up year to date, but it's also down 7% in the last three months or so. So you're not buying it at its peak. So if you're nervous about the market and you just wanna put some dividend flow in your pocket, have something really safe where you can count on the management to keep increasing that dividend every year, keep you, keep you up with inflation as you get your income, I think this is a terrific, um, a terrific company to own. See, this is what happens when you leave out a letter. My notes got had MP, not MMP, so I got all excited about I'm that so very sorry. quickly. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. I love talking about both, by the way. It's all good. It's all good. Um, <laughs> cream of wheat, not only a delicious breakfast treat, but also one of the staple products of your last pick for us. B and I hope I got the ticker right. B and G Foods. B G S. <laughs> Right. So this I've had in the portfolio forever. It's got a 6.4% dividend yield. Earnings should grow about 10% next year, which is not so shabby. They don't just own the cream of wheat. They own things like Crisco, Clabber Girl, um, baking powder, all the stuff that I use. They own B&G pickles. They own Emerald sauces. They own Victoria spaghetti sauce, and they just sell those. Interestingly, the CEO was at the, um, sorry, the CFO was at the Barclays conference a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that they were talking about is that dining at home trend being really sticky. So again, like as we just shop normally, they have products that we use all the time. I use sadly way more than my fair share of both baking powder and Crisco. So, uh, you know, I wish I used more broccoli, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Jenny Harrington, we love the picks here. <laughs> Magellan Midstream, MMP, B&G Foods, and others. Jenny, it's a real pleasure to have you on, kicking off our series this week. Thank you, Jenny. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. <laughs> All right, you're very welcome. All right, keep it here all week long. For more ideas, we got Kate Faddis coming up, Katie Stockton, Richard Saperstein as well, all in our Go Big or Go Home special series. All right, coming up, China's continued crypto crackdown, leaving some... Investors scrambling to protect their digital assets. The last-ditch efforts to keep their coins safe. We are back with that story right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's talk crypto and China because crypto exchanges and other companies providing services tied to digital assets are racing to sever business with clients in mainland China. This after officials there declared all crypto trading-related activities illegal on Friday, and as many China and Hong Kong-based holders racing to try to protect their assets. CBC.com's Mackenzie Sagalos joining us now. She spoke with an attorney who is getting flooded with encrypted messages from crypto holders on the matter. Joining us now, uh, and Mackenzie, I, I know it's, you're, in, you're on the West Coast, so I don't know if you stayed up or got up, but either way, we appreciate it. It's a big, it's a big story. Thank you. Uh, what are you hearing from what is happening in China right now. Right. So on Friday, Brian, Beijing really raised the stakes in its virtual currency crackdown, essentially attempting to freeze crypto assets so that holders can't legally do anything with them. And I spoke to an attorney who has been flooded with calls, emails, encrypted messages from holders of virtual coins in China and, and in Hong Kong who are looking for a way to safeguard their crypto. Uh, essentially, what they want to know is how to access and protect their tokens held both in foreign exchanges and in cold wallets. 
Another concern here is that China says that it's improved the technology that it uses to monitor crypto transactions. So many of the workarounds that people in the mainland have used to previously skirt bans won't really work anymore. All right, well, it seems like the take on the Internet, just people commenting on Reddit boards or on the Twitter or whatever it is, is basically a yawn, right? That China's tried this before. Nobody cares. In fact, the idea of a Bitcoin or decentralized digital currency is that governments no longer matter. But it felt like this time was different. And you don't mess around with the Chinese government. Is this time really different? Well, as you said, this is definitely not the first time that China has lashed out against digital currencies. Almost a decade ago, the country ordered that third-party payment providers stop using Bitcoin. They banned initial coin offerings in 2017, and earlier this year, the country dismantled its crypto mining industry. Now, for the most part, people have found ways to get around a lot of those rules. But what is different here is that we're seeing more coordination and a show of greater unity among the country's top agencies. We also saw the state administration of foreign exchange participate, which could be a sign that enforcement in this space might increase. They're stepping up their tech to monitor crypto actions. And I have heard from multiple people now that the biggest thing that's different this time around is that a lot of this could be tied to the government's desire to close out all potential competition to its digital yuan. Yeah, this is a big story. It hasn't really affected the crypto markets today, but they did drop last week as well. And people are are wondering, is China just its own thing or if other countries are going to follow suit? Uh, Mackenzie Segalos, it's a big story. It's up on CNBC.com. We appreciate you coming on. Mac, thank you. Have a great day. Get some rest. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Brian. (laughs) She's in San Francisco. That was live. We appreciate it. All right. As we head to break, it is Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we are spotlighting business leaders and our CNBC colleagues, contributors, and friends. Here is U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce Chair-elect Nelson Rainier. The United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce proudly represents more than 5 million Hispanic-owned businesses across this country. And our pride comes from knowing the positive contribution that these Hispanic businesses make and their role in driving an equitable and sustainable economic recovery. In fact, Hispanics accounted for more than 80% of all net new businesses created in the last decade. So as we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, please join me in saying muchas gracias to these great Hispanic business leaders across our country. Well, today's RBI has to do with this show and our almost weekly insider buying segment, most every Friday, because We've been doing it for just about a year now, and looking at our screens, we noticed something interesting. Many of these stocks that we have profiled have done well, some of them really well. In fact, check this out. Since we began the series, we have hit 123 stocks. Of those, 90 are higher this year. But look at the returns on all the stocks equally weighted on average. Over the last 12 months, up 57%. Year-to-date, up 20%. In fact, there have been 17 stocks that have more than doubled in a year. Who are the top performers that we have mentioned in the past year? Well, they're probably not the names that you might think. 12-month returns, Macy's, up nearly 300%. Liquidity Services, Continental Resources, iHeartMedia, and CIT Group, all up more than 200%. In fact, 
with Continental Resources. We told you about that one in our June 25th segment, and since then, it is up more than 15%. Now, to be clear, and this is important, those returns are not the returns since we brought you the names in this segment. Those are just fixed time periods. In fact, there are some absolute dogs in there. There are a bunch of stocks like Fibrogen, C3AI, whatever that is, Select Quote, and others that are down more than 30% in just three months. Nothing in life is guaranteed. And of course, the market has also been moving higher, so it's more likely that more names will be up. But here's the thing. Going forward, we are going to track the return from the time that we brought to you the name. But overall, hopefully, these names in the past year have given you maybe, maybe some new ideas to start your own research with. Random, interesting, and hopefully profitable, the insider names have done very, very well. All right, let's turn now to Washington, D.C. It is crunch time for Democrats as they race to iron out some inter-party differences and get President Biden's big spending bill passed. And if that was not enough, we've also got to raise the debt ceiling and fend off a potential government shutdown. We've got just days to do that. Lon Moy joining us now to look at where we stand and whether or not the Democrats will be able to get that job done. Elon, good morning. Well, good morning, Brian. Those critical votes are going to be starting to be set into motion tonight. The outcome, though, is far from certain. So here's how the week is shaping up. Democrats will start debating that bipartisan infrastructure bill on the House floor this evening, fulfilling the promise that Speaker Nancy Pelosi made to moderates. But the actual vote on the bill isn't going to happen until Thursday, giving her more time to win over progressives. In an interview on ABC, Pelosi acknowledged that her party is working with a slim margin and a tight time frame. You cannot choose the date. You have to go when you have the votes in a reasonable time. And we will. Democrats are also working to iron out their differences over the $3.5 trillion social spending package as well. Pelosi said they hope to conclude negotiations this week and potentially vote on that bill, too. Now, as you said, if this wasn't already complicated, you still got to factor in the potential for a government shutdown and a debt limit crisis. The Senate will vote tonight on a bill that would keep the government funded and raise the debt ceiling, but it is destined to fail amid Republican opposition. So, Brian, Democrats are in a really tight spot. They're trying to pass an ambitious agenda, but they also have to prove they can do the basics of governing and just keep the lights on. Back over to you. And very quickly, Alon, I know we're tight on time. It does look like that vote could come tonight or at least maybe the next couple of days. The vote on the infrastructure bill will start tonight. They'll start the floor debate, but the final vote won't happen until Thursday. Alon Moy in D.C. Alon, thank you very much. Big story there. All right, let's get more now on this and bring in former Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota. She is also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Senator Heitkamp, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, How does this process, in your view, work out for the Democrats? How do they get it done or do they get it done? Well, the first thing you have to acknowledge is the process itself is seriously flawed. The fact that we're once again going into a continuing resolution instead of funding government the way we should is really a tragedy, and it's a long-standing, terrible story for the Congress. But I think that at the end of the day, the, the Republicans understand, especially on the debt limit, 
that once you ring the bell, if if the if we ever fail to extend debt and extend credit, it will have serious consequences in the market, serious consequences for people's financial statement. You know, we once had a hearing and, and someone said, once that bell is rung, you can't unring it. And so I expect that there will be a compromise somewhere along the way on the debt limit. They'll have to figure out what they're going to do overall with the CR to carry funding of the government forward as they negotiate a, a, a more permanent kind of solution. But the good news here is that the infrastructure is going to be voted on. You don't need every Democrat on the infrastructure bill. What you need is you need a majority in the House. And I think there's going to be many, many Republicans who vote for that infrastructure bill. And hopefully that'll provide some momentum to get other things done. All right, get to that in just a moment. I want to go back to your previous point, Senator, which is you do believe that despite all the posturing and flexing, whatever else you want to call it, like in years past, because this is not the first time that we have been here, as you know, that there will be a deal to keep the government funded. Or do you think there is a chance, even small, of a lockdown? I, I think you can have a deal to have the government funded. The question is whether the Democrats are going to stand firm on whether that deal includes extending the debt limit for another year. Um, perhaps you could get people to extend the debt limit to the end of the, the time period on the CR. The Fed is already looking at extraordinary measures to extend the debt limit. And so you have to separate those two issues. Continuing the government, I think there's already could be a deal on that. Mitch McConnell signaled that last week. The question is whether it's going to uh, continue or, or also include a, a extension, an expansion of the, the time period for uh, extending the debt limit. Senator, you know, we, we talk about President Biden's spending bill. He initially wanted three and a half trillion dollars. I'm not talking about the infrastructure bill. That's the one that's going to get voted on today. I'm talking about the bigger social spending bill. You've got some of the Northeast Democrats who are saying, yo, we're not going to vote on this unless we get some change to the SALT state and local tax deduction cap. Do you, A, think any deal will get done or passed, even only by Democrats? And B, if so, how big do you think it's going to be? Three and a half trillion is what Biden wanted. But I'm reading a lot of stuff from Washington that says one trillion, one and a half trillion at most. Where do you come in? I, I don't think it's going to be three and a half trillion. You've already heard uh, Kirsten Cinema and Manchin say they aren't voting for three and a half trillion. And what Nancy Pelosi has just told us is that she's not going to bring a deal to the floor unless she thinks it can pass the Senate. So these are the negotiations. I think everybody understands that they'll be lucky to pick up one one Republican. And so they're going to have to resolve it within the Democratic Party on how they're going to move forward on that package. But it won't be three and a half. Question is, what will it be beyond that? And whether whether the progressives in the House in particular will uh, uh, make life difficult for the speaker or whether they'll go along with something much smaller. Well, we're going to find out maybe starting tonight and tomorrow. Former Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, one of my favorite places. Senator, thank you very much for getting up early. We Good appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Have a have a great day. Thank you. And with that, we wrap up Worldwide Exchange to kick off your Monday. We leave you with Dow Futures up the triple ones, 111 points right now. We will see you tomorrow. A lot more to do with our continued series. Go bigger or go home. Well, you're home and get up and have a cup of coffee. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk in the gang. They're next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.